Mark 11, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing, loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, and as we dig into it, I pray that our hearts would be drawn closer to you, that you would sanctify us by your word. Your word is truth, and Father, it is our glory to study it. And so we pray for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the ancient father Cyril of Jerusalem preached on the various ways that the Bible uses different kinds of animals to illustrate human characteristics. Uh, there's actually a beautifully illustrated book that uh, Bill Gothard's organization put out that does much the same thing. It really is a cool uh, book. Uh, I've never preached on, on animals, but uh, if you look through the, the different uh, animal descriptions in the Bible, you will see many examples that exemplify things. For example, uh, the Bible presents the fox as representing the craftiness of man. Uh, the snake is representing the treachery of man. The neighing horse, the wantonness of man. The ant represents industriousness and preparation for the future. And as I said, I've not preached on animals before, but when I was reading through and trying to figure out a couple of weeks ago what to preach on Palm Sunday, I was really struck by uh, the unusualness of this foal or this colt of a donkey. Donkeys symbolize stubbornness and waywardness in Scripture over and over again. For example, Proverbs 26, verse 3. They are difficult to control, especially if they've not yet been broken. But Zeph uh, Zechariah 9, verse 9, prophesied about a donkey who would carry Jesus and who would be miraculously good-natured. Almost everyone, almost every commentary I looked at says this actually was a miracle. A lot of people just skip over, read that, think it's beautiful, but no, this was a miracle. I believe there is much more communicated through this donkey than was communicated through Balaam's donkey in uh, the Old Testament, okay? In fact, uh, Tom Rees, uh, he mentioned a, a jockey in England who was converted simply by hearing this passage being read from a, a pulpit. <laughs> um, what had happened was that on a whim he decided to go to church and he found the first church he could find. It was an Anglican church, probably didn't preach the gospel, but they at least read scripture. And as this was being read, 
he was, he was thunderstruck, absolutely thunderstruck. He was amazed that Jesus could calmly ride an untrained colt that had never been mounted before, had not been broken, had not been trained, and was not, for, cert, for certain, was not uh, accustomed to riding in a very noisy environment. Now, God had already prepared him to be the hearing of this scripture because he had been brought to the place of being absolutely disgusted with himself for not being able to conquer his uh, youthful sins. And he didn't know what in the world to do. But when this passage was being read without any preaching, God suddenly gave him faith that if God could control a donkey like this that had never been trained, Christ could control me. And God gave him faith. He was soundly converted at that worship service. So anyway, uh, he discovered only Jesus can bring every thought captive to obey God. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Only Jesus can tame our unruly flesh. And God did exactly that in the, the weeks to follow in that man's life. So my message from Mark 11 is this. Don't let a donkey outdo you. Okay? Here was a donkey that left home and everything that it had known. Now, it's true, he didn't leave on his own. He was brought to Jesus, but he did not resist the new and the unknown. And those who train donkeys and horses say that a donkey colt is much harder to break. They're skittish, they're frightened, they're not easily approached. In fact, uh, one donkey breeder that I looked up on the website said that if Jesus could ride this, this donkey that had never been ridden before uh, into, into Jerusalem, he could tame anything. <laughs> that was what he said. For this colt to leave home without any fuss shows a miraculous work of God upon the colt. But here is my application. It is a much more miraculous work of God for any person to forsake all and to follow Jesus. It is a, a work of grace. Why? Because our hearts are prone to wander. Apart from God's grace, the Bible describes the human heart as being deceptive, idolatrous, lustful, desperately wicked. Saul of Tarsus was hell-bent on destroying Christianity and destroying Christ, and he was instantly changed in a moment of time from a Christ-hater into a Christ-lover who called Jesus Lord. And this is what happens in discipleship. Mark 8, verse 34, Jesus said, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Matthew 10, 38 says, He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And it's not enough to just deny ourselves and follow Christ at the beginning of our Christian walk. We are called to continue to follow after Christ. Let each of us do better than this donkey. And rather than needing to be led to forsake all. Let's forsake all for Christ willingly and joyfully of our own initiative. A second, in verses 2 through 3, we see that this colt submitted to a new Lord. Now, previously, he had a master who had tied him up to keep him from wandering, but Jesus claimed lordship over this donkey. Take a look at verses 2 through 3. And he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it there. So this colt had an owner. That's why they asked him, what in the world are you doing messing with our donkey? Uh, when they started to untie it. But as soon as they discovered that the Lord Jesus had need of it, they let them take the donkey. 
So this donkey was being given to serve a new Lord who would soon be declared to be the universal king who owns all things. And this colt submitted to Christ's lordship without question. Now, it's a miracle enough for a colt that is untrained to do this with anyone, but to do it with a stranger is even more amazing. But the colt submitted. Can we do better? Are we willing to submit to Christ's commands for us, no matter how uncomfortable those commands might be? Submitting to Christ's lordship is an evidence of Christ's grace at work within our hearts. Is Christ the Lord of your heart, or do you stubbornly hold on to things, certain things that Jesus is asking for? Donkey breeders believe that a donkey's stubbornness is a part of an instinctual self-preservation, but believers are called to lay down their lives for King Jesus, not to preserve their lives, to lay them down. Don't let this donkey outdo you. By grace, you can do better than this donkey. The third thing that I see is that this colt submitted to the Lord when quite young. Now, the words foal and colt are kind of synonyms, uh, and they refer to a, a very young donkey. Uh, there are some traditions. I, I was astonished when I discovered this. I won't tell you which denominations uh, this is prevalent in, but they believe that in your youth and in your teenage years, you're going to be you know, rebelling, you're going to be sowing your wild oats, and they're okay with you, so just get it out of your system, and then eventually they'll come back to Christ. That's a very, very bad idea. We should seek to guide the hearts of our young to the Lord from the time that they are babies. There should never be a day that our young children do not hear the voice of Christ speaking through the Scriptures in song, in our devotions, in, in our uh, catechizing, in all of the things that we do with them. If God can tame a young donkey's heart, he can tame the hearts of our young children. Now, some parents, they're ready to cry and to pull their hair out over their children. They're so frustrated. And it's actually a good thing to get to the end of your rope and to be uh, frustrated. It, was, uh, it, it took a, a, us a while, at least, well, my wife probably knew sooner than I did, but I'm a little dense. It took a while for me to figure out we could not do this. We thought parenting is pretty easy until Joel came along. <laughs> and uh, Joel made me come to tears so many times, but it drove us to our knees calling out to the Lord Jesus. And our God continues to be a God of miracles. And he did a thorough work in Joel's life, a beautiful work in his life. Here's the point. What we cannot do, God does. And it's so important that we fall on our knees before King Jesus and ask him to tame the hearts of our children. He continues to be a God of miracles. So don't give up hope. Bring your child to Jesus, even as these disciples brought this colt to Jesus. After all, he's not unwilling. He's invited us to do so. We saw that in the baptism talk earlier. Fourth, this donkey served Christ's needs. In verse 3, Jesus says, And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. But notice the word need. The Lord has need of it. I don't usually think of Jesus as having any needs. After all, he created everything in this universe and continues to sustain it. Hebrews says he upholds all things by the word of his power. In his omniscience, he knew exactly what the response of these people was going to be. 
But the word for need is chrao, uh, and it doesn't speak of neediness. He doesn't have any neediness, but of usefulness. And that Jesus could find usefulness in a young colt that isn't remotely trained or ready for riding is encouraging. He has set up his kingdom to need each one of you, weak as you are. And I find that hugely encouraging. You should be thinking, if Christ can find this colt useful and needed for his kingdom, who am I to withhold my service from Jesus just because I think I'm inadequate? We're all inadequate, right? And yet he still finds us useful. He, he loves to take the weak, the broken, the hurting, the hopeless, and to manifest his power and his grace through them. So don't let a donkey outdo you. See yourself as useful in God's kingdom. Are you willing to say amen to that? Amen. Too many times we think, I'm of no use. I'm a useless citizen. No, there is no useless citizen in Christ's kingdom. The next point shows why this donkey was needed. It served as a testimony to Christ via symbolism. Uh, the donkey and the mule were not used in war other than as pack animals. It was the horse that was used in war. It was much faster for one thing. But the donkey and the mule were both perfect symbols of peace, and thus they were frequently used in the coronation of kings. And you can think of King Solomon riding on a, on a mule uh, to be coronated. The Messianic king prophesied in Genesis 49:11, started his reign by, it says, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine and then going to his death. I think that's a prediction of this colt that was tied outside that house and, uh, and the mother uh, being bound where the disciples found them. The, the parallel passages uh, in the other gospels point to that. So let me just give you some indications of this uh, symbolism. Deborah refers to judges who rode on donkeys as symbols of their rule, Judges 5.10. The 30 sons of Judge Jair rode on 30 donkeys as symbols of their rulership, Judges 10.4. Same was true of the sons of Abdon in Judges 12. So the point is this donkey testified to Christ's kingship and that Christ was the Messiah. And if we don't want to be outdone by a donkey, we sh too should make sure that our lives and our words are a good testimony to our Savior and our Lord. We wear the name Christian, and the Bible says we must not use his name in vain. We must not have bad testimonies, uh, but we must testify the way he wants us to do it. Don't let a donkey outdo you. Make your life a testimony to the kingship of Jesus over you. The sixth thing that I see is that this donkey was not distracted from duty by the crowds that swirled around them and the noise and the waving of palm branches and people running up with palm branches to put under them and putting their clothing. They wanted, oh, if this donkey of the Messiah could tread on my clothing, I don't care if it ruins my clothing, that would be an honor. So they're all running up, putting their clothing under it. That could have been incredibly unnerving for this colt. Look at verses 7 through 8. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it, and many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now as skittish as donkeys can be, and as hugely skittish as colts can be, it is amazing that this colt was not distracted from its duty. The crowds were huge, the noise of the singing was loud, 
The crowds were no doubt pressing in upon Jesus. People were running up, laying down clothing and palm branches. It would be enough to distract any animal. Even a trained animal might have been distracted. But this donkey was so under the control of Jesus, it was not distracted from duty. What about you? Do you get easily distracted from your spiritual disciplines uh, through the things that are knocking at your eye gate and your ear gate and your taste gate and your, your touch, the all five senses? <clears throat> what takes priority, games or Bible? Which takes priority, sports or devotions? Which takes priority, Sabbath or work? There are so many things that distract us from serving the Lord, and we must ignore those things if they are a distraction and do what's right. Don't let a donkey outdo you. Don't get distracted from duty. The seventh thing that I see is that this donkey was part of the ceremony of lifting up Jesus and glorifying him. I mean, the point of Palm Sunday was to acknowledge and celebrate the fact that Christ was Messiah and King. It was to glorify him, verses 9 through 10. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, even though Hosanna, uh, you know, meant uh, a help I pray or save I pray, it had by this time in history become kind of a a note of, of jubilation. It was almost like hooray, or sometimes people say hallelujah. It's a, it, it does acknowledge that Jesus is the one who will save. Jesus is the one who will help, but it is a glorifying of him. Second, the crowds were asking God to bless Jesus. Third, they acknowledged him to be the representative of the Lord when they spoke of him as coming in the name of the Lord. Fourth, they were affirming that the time of the kingdom had come. Fifth, they were acknowledging Jesus to be the prophesied king who would descend from David, who would be the Messiah. And then six, by shouting Hosanna in the highest, they were referring to the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is the highest. And so now is the time when the kingdom of heaven is supposed to be invading the earth, transforming the earth, and uh, extending Christ's kingdom upon the earth. So it was all a time of enormous jubilation and celebration, and at the heart of it was Jesus riding on this colt with the mother donkey probably coming alongside in order to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies of there being two donkeys, and the parallel passages talk about that. So what's the point? Well, the point is it wasn't just humans glorifying Jesus. The donkey was glorifying Jesus, too, by pointing to his kingship, his saviorhood, his rule over all. Don't let a donkey outdo you in glorifying Jesus and seeking to extend the knowledge of his uh, kingdom, and that his kingdom has come and it's coming more and more. Acts 2 starts as a tiny mustard seed. It was tiny. The church was 120 believers, and it has kept growing and growing like that mustard seed until we have billions of Christians today. Pew Research claims that there are 2.3 billion Christians, uh, and that's a couple years old. And uh, Gordon Conwell's uh, Center for the Study of Christianity says that there was 2.5 billion Christians in 2019. We don't know exactly, but it is growing exponentially. Now, here is the thing. As man's rebellion 
becomes more and more irrational and self-destructive. When you've got a Supreme Court justice who can't even define what a woman is, you, you realize how lame humanism is. As things begin to crumble all around us, Christianity looks pretty good, doesn't it? And uh, it's our hope, our prayer, that there will be a Christian civilization that will arise uh, out of the ashes. <clears throat> but we can start right where we are, no matter what God's timing on that is, and we can be lifting up Jesus. So we can be serving him where we are. We can be advancing his crown rights in our jobs, our entertainment, our politics, wherever we are, county by county. The donkey didn't worry about whether the crowds were sincere or insincere, right? He didn't worry about the size of the opposition. His goal was simply to carry Jesus and his agenda forward. Don't let that donkey outdo you. Don't worry about the massive opposition of our modern Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how much opposition we get. Don't get distracted by the fickleness of the crowds out there. And yes, there's fickleness even in the church of Jesus Christ. Be faithful where you are and keep carrying the crown rights of King Jesus forward in your county. The last thing that I see about this donkey is that it finished, finished its course in verse 11 and brought Jesus all the way to his destination, the temple. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, why did Jesus even ride there up to the temple on this particular day? Well, in past years, we have looked at all of the synchronization of so many things that he fulfilled that were amazing, starting weeks before. Uh, but on this particular day, this was the day that Josephus says there were 250, more than 250,000 lambs being herded to the temple for the temple authorities to inspect them to see if there were any blemishes in them and then to use them for the Passover later on. And so uh, what happens here is Jesus, the Lamb of God, is going in the midst of these 250,000 and rather than finding any blemish in Jesus, Jesus finds blemish in them and he cleanses them out of the temple. There's no longer going to be, he's the last lamb to be slain. He's no longer going to allow any competition. But what I find remarkable about the fact that he wasn't just walking, he was riding on a donkey is that yes, he's the lamb, but he's also the king. It weds these elements of priest and king so tightly together that it shows Jesus to be different than the priests in the temple. He is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, both king and priest. And again, all of these symbols I think are just remarkable. And it gives added meaning to the words. If you ever read John chapter 12 as he's talking about his death, oh wow, it's just such beautiful imagery. They're very self-conscious, fulfilling of prophecy in perfect synchronization with the temple and the festival rituals. And there were many who tried to divert Jesus from his goal of dying. You know, even the Pharisees didn't want Jesus to die on uh, Passover because they said there might be riots. They were trying to get him killed afterwards, right? But he had to die just when prophecy said he would die. But Jesus, one of his own disciples, rebukes Jesus for even talking about dying, right? But here is a donkey 
that minded its own business, and its business was to take Jesus where Jesus wanted to go, not where the donkey wanted to go, right? And once again, I say, don't let a donkey outdo you. Determine to follow Jesus through thick and through thin. Don't worry about whether where he's leading you is going to be painful or pleasant. All that matters is that you are sticking with Jesus. This is so, so different from the soft Christianity that is prevalent in America. And I think it's one of the reasons why America is coming under judgment is because we've really abandoned his purposes. But um, I love the hymn. It's Isaac Watts' hymn, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? And it calls us to be willing to make sacrifices for King Jesus. Just like it likens the difference between a person in the military, an ordinary civilian life, you're, you might have to lay down your life, you know, as a soldier. It's saying there is a vast difference between genuine Christianity and the cultural Christianity that is out there. And uh, one of the verses of that hymn was blazoned across the walls of the Bible school that I, I went to many, many years ago, and it said this, Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Let's learn the faithfulness and the humility of this donkey. To reiterate the points we've already gone over that are displayed in his life. First, leave all and follow Christ. Second, submit unconditionally, unreservedly to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Don't hold anything in your life out. And you, you probably know when the Holy Spirit's convicting you and you're thinking, oh, I really don't want to think about that part. No, anything that he is convicting you of, submit unreservedly. Third, start submitting to Jesus when you are young and per persevere in following him till you are old and dedicate your young to, to Christ just like the Collins did this morning. Fourth, realize that Christ's kingdom needs you, not in an absolute sense, but in the sense that you are useful to him. And if you are useful to him, be willing to be used by him. Don't live your life selfishly for yourself. Fifth, testify to Jesus, to the fact that he is your Savior and Lord. Six, don't let games, applause, pride, fear, anything else from distracting you from God's call upon your life. Seventh, glorify him in all that you do. And eighth, finish your course. Don't let a donkey outdo you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help each one of us to follow after you with our whole hearts. Please, Lord. Uh, help us to abandon our fleshly impulses. Help us to be weaned, as uh, was earlier preached, uh, to be weaned from the things that uh, are of this world, that you would give us a distaste for worldly things and that we would find great sweetness and great joy in serving you and being like this donkey, doing whatever you want us to do. Please, Father, would you bless this people with your sanctification, and even as a result of the preaching of this word, may we come out of this place willing to be sold out to the King Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.